And, and please tell him I said that. I would appreciate it. <laughs> it is my pleasure to be here. I, I feel like I know many, I do know several of you. I've had opportunity to be acquainted with your church for a long time through both Dennis Griffith and, and Dan. And so it's just a joy to be able to come and, and be a, a part of your congregation for these next two weeks and share God's word with you. Uh, my family is here with me, so please take an opportunity to greet them as well uh, before you go. Uh, I'll embarrass them and, and say that as well. This morning, I want us to look in Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to be talking two weeks about who God is and because of who He is, what is required of us. What difference does it make who God is in our lives? And this morning, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, verses 1 through 8. You know, we're on the cusp of a new year. And I've been thinking about that a lot. I, this is, 2020 will be the eighth decade that I have lived in. It's sobering. When I think back on just 20 years, from 2000 until today, think of everything that has changed. Everything that has changed in your life, everything that has changed in our culture, everything that has changed in our country, everything that has changed in our churches. It's almost as if we live in a different world than we did just 20 years ago. And so as we began this morning, I thought it might be good for us to look at something that never changes and something that stands firm throughout the ages, and that is Christ himself. Isaiah chapter 6, I'll start in verse 1. This is the Word of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above him were seraph, each with six wings. With two they covered their feet, with two they covered their faces, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts, and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I said, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sins are atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? 
Who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. You know, we are, each one of us here this morning, we are all here in one way or another because of God. But unfortunately, we may not all be here because of the same God. Because we like to mess with God. We like to make God what we want Him to be. It's very easy for us to desire to recreate God in our image and create a God in our minds that fits who we are and fits our personalities, being exactly what we feel we want or we need. But when you get right down to it, what we want or need is really irrelevant. What matters is what is true. What matters is what God says about Himself. What matters is what God says about us. And this morning I want us to take just a brief look at what God says about Himself and what He says about us and then ask the question of all of us, is this the God we've come to worship? And are we really the people we thought we were? First, God reveals truth about Himself. This is an extraordinary picture. I don't know if you've ever spent much time looking at these eight verses, but this is an extraordinary scene. And, and just take a moment to, to envision this in your mind as we review what we just heard. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. He knew who he saw. And who is it that Isaiah was looking at? In John chapter 12, John tells us, Isaiah saw Jesus. And so whether in a vision or whether in reality, I don't think it matters in the least, Isaiah is brought into the very presence of Jesus and he knew who it was he was looking at. And by the way, when you continue reading on through Isaiah and you see these extraordinary passages about the Messiah that God would send, that he would be a child, that, that he would die, Isaiah knew what he was talking about. Because Isaiah had seen Jesus, he had learned from Jesus, he had been sent from Jesus to proclaim his message. And so Isaiah is looking at the pre-incarnate Christ in all of His glory. He's not looking at a, at a lamb, at the babe in the manger. He's looking at the God of glory who will one day come in all of His glory and all of His power. And He said He was seated on a throne indicating His Lordship over everything. All of this world belongs to Him. He says He was high and exalted above everything. All authority, Isaiah understood as he looked at this vision, belongs to this Jesus. And it said that the train of His robe filled the temple, denoting His power. Isaiah 
understood he was in the presence of the Almighty God. But you know the thing that strikes me the most? It's the seraphs. These creatures that God has made simply for the purpose of proclaiming his glory. And it says they have three pairs of wings. And what's extraordinary about them is that with one pair, they're covering their feet. With one pair of wings, they're flying. And it says that with the third pair of wings, they're covering their faces. Do you grasp the significance of that? These sinless creatures, created by God to proclaim His glory, never being tainted by the reality of the sin of this world, cannot look upon Jesus in His glory without covering their faces. This is the God that we claim to worship. Not only is He all-powerful, the King of kings, but He is so set apart from us, so holy, that even sinless creatures cannot bear to look at His face. And this is the Jesus that we try to shape and mold into our image. This is the Jesus that somehow we convince ourselves that we can fool, we can ignore. We can live before as we please, and it doesn't matter. But as Jesus revealed truth about himself, it instantly reveals truth about us. It sure did Isaiah. You know, we don't know much about Isaiah. Very little is revealed to, uh, to us about him in Scripture. It tells us he's the son of Amos. Uh, Jewish tradition tells us that he was the brother of King Amaziah, who was uh, a reasonably good king. Uh, further, Jewish tradition tells us, associates him with the man of God, spoken of in 2 Chronicles 25.7, who counseled his brother regarding his kingdom. And so potentially, potentially, Isaiah comes from a royal line. He, he is a man who has demonstrated faithfulness for and love for God. And so if there is anyone who could stand before Jesus at this point and gaze upon him with joy, you would think he would be someone like Isaiah. And yet, when Isaiah looks and sees Jesus, his response is, Woe is me. I am Ruined. In the ESV it says, I am lost. And when you get right down to the root meaning of the word, what is it that Isaiah is trying to say? Isaiah is saying, I am a dead man. I should not be here. I should not look at this. I mean, he understood God had already told Moses in Exodus Nobody can look on the face of God and live. And Isaiah knows the boat he's in. He says, because I'm a man of unclean lips. Isaiah says, I know my sin. And I come from a people of unclean lips. 
and my eyes have seen the King. For the first time in his life, Isaiah has not judged himself by the people around him. For the first time in his life, he has not judged himself by his ancestors and how he lives up to their legacy. For the first time in his life, Isaiah sees himself in view of God's glory and holiness. And he knows that he deserves to die. And he doesn't even ask for mercy. He knows he doesn't deserve it. And you see, this is always the reality when we come face to face with Jesus. When Moses came to the burning bush that I believe was in fact the pre-incarnate Jesus speaking to Moses. The voice told him, take off your shoes. Bow down because you're on holy ground. When God came to Elijah, he put him in the cleft of a rock and covered him so that as his glory passed by, he would not die. When Paul was walking the road to Damascus to persecute believers, and the glorious Christ stood before him, he fell to the ground blind. Because you cannot see Jesus for who he is and think that we are worthy. Seeing Jesus causes us to cry out, Oh God, I'm so sorry. I am so much worse than I ever could possibly have imagined. And if it were to stop there, we would all be destroyed. But the glory of this beautiful snapshot of grace in Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 8 continues because Jesus now reveals to Isaiah truth about his salvation. Isaiah is waiting to die. And this extraordinary thing happens. In verse 6 it says one of the seraphs go and they take a, a set of tongs by the altar. Now think about this. This is the presence of Jesus, the throne room. The altar is in the presence of Jesus. The lamb who would be slain. The sacrifice that would be offered for all sin. Sits beside the very altar of God. The altar that burns with the fire of His holiness. The altar upon which at least figuratively the Son of God would lay himself on to be sacrificed for sin. And it's from that altar that the seraph takes a coal and he brings it to Isaiah and he touches his mouth with it. 
And then there are three extraordinary statements. He says, first, see, this has touched your lips. Do you see what has happened to you? This is your personal, physical experience. This coal has now touched you. He says, now your sin is removed. Because it's been atoned for. How can that be? First, understand this. Isaiah did nothing. When God's salvation rests upon us, it is not because of who we are or what we have done or what we have decided. Each and every one of us stands before God. The Scriptures make it abundantly clear. The New Testament hammers it home through the Apostle Paul. We are dead in our sins. And what do dead men do? Nothing. The only thing a dead person does is remain dead. And yet Isaiah stood before God as a dead man and God did something. God came to Isaiah, took the efficacy of the sacrifice that had been planned from all eternity, that Jesus would give himself for God's chosen. And from that altar touched him and said, you are now clean because of Christ. Isaiah didn't decide to try Jesus. He didn't decide to follow Jesus. He was called by Jesus. He was made alive by Jesus. He was born again. Do you remember Jesus coming to Nicodemus and saying, Nicodemus, you're so close, but here's what has to happen. You have to be born again. And Nicodemus says, I can't do that. And Jesus said, exactly. But I can. Isaiah's sin was atoned for by Jesus. And when the sacrifice of Jesus touches our lips, when we understand who we are apart from Him, and yet in His mercy God chooses to love us anyway, when He calls us to Himself, when He applies the sacrifice to us, when the Holy Spirit takes the sacrifice accomplished by Jesus on the cross of Calvary, and He touches us with it, Our sin is gone. It is atoned for. And everything changes. Everything. And that's what we fail often to not understand. Here God reveals truth about how we are to live in view of the change that he makes in our lives. I love how in verse 8, God says, Jesus says, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Father, Son, and Spirit, who's going to do the task that we have? 
And I think we tend to look at this and, and think, boy, that's awkward. There's Isaiah, and there, there's a bunch of seraphs flying around. And You ever feel pressed into service? You ever have someone just keep coming back and saying, we really need you to do this? The churches are notorious for this, by the way. We really need you, we really need you, we really need you, and eventually you go, all right, I'll do it. And we have this picture, at least I have often had this picture in my mind of Isaiah kind of going, all right, I'll do it. I'll bite the bullet. But that isn't what's happening. Isaiah has not simply escaped death. Isaiah has been given new life. Do you remember the words of Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 5? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone the new has come. All of this has come from God who reconciled Himself to us through Christ. Isaiah didn't stand there as somebody who knew he was fortunate or lucky. Isaiah stood before Jesus and he wasn't the same person he was just a moment ago. He was new. He was changed. He no longer belonged to himself. He had been purchased and bought by God. And when Jesus says, who will go for us? Isaiah said, send me. Please. In view of your mercy, in view of your glory, in view of your holiness, and despite all that you are, you have loved me. Oh, please. Send me. I am your man. And what are the words God gives him? He says, you are to speak my words and live my life before your people, your family, your co-workers, your friends. Wherever I send you, you will do what I require. And remember, we started out saying we're going to look at some things that never change. That hasn't changed. God didn't go from being a redeeming God who called His people to love Him, to be His, to follow Him, to do His will, to being a God who says, I'll throw you a bone, live however you want, it doesn't matter anymore. Today, when Jesus calls us, He says to us, you are to speak My words and live My life before Your people. You are to live as Me before Your family and Your co-workers and Your friends. Wherever I need You to go, You will go. Whatever I need You to do, You will do. That's always been the call of God. It's never changed. It was the call that God gave to everyone in the Old Testament. It was the call that God gave to everyone who came across Jesus' path 
in the New Testament. And you say, well, that's not a very enticing message. And I beg to differ. Because you see, we don't only get the king's tasks. We get the king himself. It's what we miss. We miss that God has not only loved us and redeemed us, but he has given himself fully to us so that all of God's power and all of God's authority and all of his glory and all of his holiness is provided to us as we need it. And as we walk in this world with him, we understand that all of those things will be given to us in their fullness one day. So that regardless of what God asks, it's worth it. It's not even close. This modern concept that we have that if Jesus loves us, things will be good and easy in our lives is rubbish. It really is. And it's one of the reasons that Jesus says wide is the road that leads to destruction. Because it's such an easy road to follow. But look at Isaiah. Isaiah joyfully went to serve his God. His life was not pleasant. And tradition tells us he was sawn in half by King Messiah for proclaiming the truth of God. Jesus called his disciples to follow him. All but one died for the sake of the gospel. Throughout the history of the early church, the church was grown on the blood of martyrs who understood the cost of their salvation, understood the glory of their God, and were so in love with Him, the things of this world didn't matter anymore. All over the world today, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are dying because Jesus touched their lips and made them whole. And yet all around the world today, there are also people who want Jesus as a talisman, but no more. Is serving Jesus Glorious? Yes, it is. Is it difficult? Almost always. Is it worth it? Nothing can compare. And so the question this morning is, have you seen Jesus? Not have you heard about him? Not have you read about him in the Bible or seen the story books? Have you seen the Jesus that's coming again? Have you measured your life in connection with his glory and his holiness? Or are you just satisfied to be good enough? 
has your sin been atoned for? Your sin cannot be atoned for if it's not been recognized or confessed. Do you see it? Do you grieve it? Do you fall before the face of God and beg his forgiveness and find it? Have you been called by God? If you've seen Jesus and you've been atoned for, you've been called. May God give each of us the grace as we go into a new year to be, willing to, to be willing to stop making our plans for 2020 and ask God, where would you have me go? And what would you have me do? Then things will change. Then we'll not only know the glory of God in our own lives, but others will see it too. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a picture. I confess that far too often, in spite of the grace and mercy you've shown to me, that this is not the picture of Jesus that I see. I confess that far too often I live for myself and not for you. Lord, I pray here on this morning, together, you will reveal your glory in a way to each of us that we've not yet seen. That you'll remind us that we are not our own and our lives are not our own, but if we are yours, we have cheerfully, joyfully given ourselves to you. You have claimed us, we're yours. Now use us, we ask, for the glory of Jesus. Amen.